What is up, people? It is episode eight of The Word, and Batman is the word of the day. Why? Because we got Chris Batman Brogan. I'm super excited. So welcome, everybody. I'm Keenan. You know me. I know you. We're about to kick off The Word, and of course, I got to introduce, as always, the smart, the brilliant, Kiki B. What's up, Kiki? Hello, world. It's going to be a really good one today. We're talking about personal branding. Like Keenan said, we've got Chris Batman Brogan on. I think we got some surprises in store for you this time. This is going to be fun. So, as always, guys, it's about the conversation. This is a freestyle, right? So let's freestyle it. You have questions. You have something to say. You're happy. You're sad. You're mad. Whatever. Sales jolt is the hashtag. Ooh, that was almost a rhyme. Maybe I should freestyle my rhymes. Um, <laughs> So yes, uh, hashtag sales jolt. Jump on it. Throw it out there. Let us know what you think. It's all about sales and making stuff happen. So with that, Kiki, what uh, what do we want to do today? What 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 what's going to happen today? So per usual, we're going to start off with a little uh, banter ourselves uh, with a visual, and we'll uh, get into Chris Bergen and all his goodness. Okay. All right. All right. You said earlier something was trending on Twitter. What's trending on Twitter that you said was interesting? So I saw uh, why you want to date me, and it's pretty much people tweeting about. Um, I mean, someone said because I'll I'll put all my focus on you, girl. It's just a random thing. I don't know why it's going on, but it is. But we're gonna beat it. Let's trend over it. <laughs> oh, we're gonna trend over why you want to date me. Yes. Oh, that's gonna be good. That's gonna be good. I gotta come up with some of those. I'm single after. Uh, so I, I I need to jump into that meme, right? That's yeah. good. That's good stuff. Okay, so we got a meme of why you want to date me, which I need to start thinking about because I got cool red headphones. I got my Red Bull. Check. Red Bull, you're welcome. We got Chris Brogan in the wings. We've got beautiful Kiki B. I've got my flashcards. <laughs> We're ready to roll, I think, right? There are. Yeah, all. ready to roll. All right, today it's all about branding. But before we get to the branding, I think we have an interesting video that we're going to knock out. What do we got? We got a little bit of comedy for you folks, so strap in. Dwight, you're going to have to sell to him without being aggressive, hostile, or difficult. Let's go. All right, fine. <coughs> Ring. Hello? Hello, this is Dwight Schrute from the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. Well, oh, that's great, because I need paper. Excellent, then you are in luck, because we are having a limited time offer only on everything. Oh, this is my lucky day. What is your name, sir? I am Bill Butlicker. That's your real name? Dare you. My family built this country, by the way. Be respectful, boy. Oh, yes, ma'am. Hold on one second, that's my little one. What? No, but I... Hello? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry about this stupid salesman. He's so dumb. Probably just going to keep him on the line forever and not buy anything. Okay. Sorry, it's a family emergency. Oh no, what's wrong? You know what? That's private. Boundaries, Dwight. I'm sorry. As I was saying, we are having a limited. Up a little bit louder. I'm hard of hearing. I'm sorry. Okay. As I was saying, right now we are having. Louder. Okay. Our prices have never been lower. Son, you have to talk louder. Never been lower. Louder, son. Butlicker. Our prices have never been lower. Now you listen to me, sir. The three words I would describe you as is aggressive, yes. hostile, and definitely difficult. Please, Mr. Butler. I'm irate right now. Give me the phone. Give me the phone. Mr. Butler, give me the phone. I should hope so. Who is this? Hello, this is Michael Scott, regional manager. This is William M. Butler. Hello, Mr. Butler. How may we help you? Michael, I like the sound of your voice. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy $1 million worth of paper products today. Thank you very much, sir. I don't think you'll regret it. You are the master. There is one condition, Michael. Yes, you have to fire the salesman that treated me so terribly. Don't do it, Michael. <laughs> Kiki, would you... Oh, that's funny. Would you fire the salesman? In a real world, I've been in a situation. I've been in a situation where the client said... I don't want to work with them. I'm not going to work with them, and you need to fire them if I want to do business with you. Would you ever fire someone if a client told you to? 
I don't think so. No, I mean I definitely take it under advisement and maybe do some and analyzing of my own, some coaching of my own. But I don't think I would just take one irate random. Who knows what was going on with that guy's life that day? Where he's going to take it off on my guy? No, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Good call. No, I wouldn't do it either. The customers don't run my business. I run my business, and I wouldn't do it either. But what, what I liked about this, what I really want to talk about for a few minutes here, is the idea of coaching, right? I mean, that was a pathetic coaching environment. Well, I mean, it's perfect for the office because, oh, boy, he screws everything up. I mean, uh, what's his name again? Um, I'm sorry? Michael Scott. Yeah, Michael Scott, yes. What's his, I remember him from the old um, Federal Express commercial when he first got his start. Do you remember him? No, I don't remember. I remember him from Anchorman, I think, was my first exposure. Yeah, he, had, he, had, he did these uh, Federal Express commercials where he said something like, the hobgoblin of... Of something, I mean, he was really—he had a really interesting role, and in yeah, he was a nobody. But I remember that. Um, here's the deal with coaching. All right, he lost complete control of it. It was a complete screw up. I've seen these things happen all the time, right? You see the managers try to role play. You see them try to coach. You see them try to help, and it's a mess. So he, here's what I like to throw at people and sales leaders. This is for you. If you want to coach somebody, there's three things you got to do. You got to do observe, describe. Prescribe. First, out the, the behaviors they're observing, and zero on, in on those behaviors that will provide the greatest return. I just blogged about this yesterday. Okay, that's all you need to focus on. First and foremost, look at all the behaviors. Observe everything they're doing. Then zero in and say, if I fix this behavior first, this will show the biggest return. And that's all you focus on. Don't confuse them with anything else. Just zero in on that. But then, secondly, describe to them what you see. Describe the behaviors, describe what's good, describe what's bad, but tell them everything you see. Don't say, hey, do more of this. I learned this from skiing. Teaching people to ski is one of the hardest things in the world. And you can never say to someone, hey, stop twisting your foot or stop doing or stop leaning back. That they don't they don't know what to do with that. You gotta tell them what you to do. Hey, press your shin to the tongue. Right? Don't tell them to stop rotating their shoulders when they ski, and too many people ski like this. By the way, that's bad, people, in case you're wondering. Right? <laughs> you want to tell them to tip their ankle, or you want to tell them to rotate their leg underneath. Tell them what to do. So when you're looking at the salesperson and you're coaching them, don't tell them what not to do. They're doing it because it's all they know. Tell them what to do. Um, so there's your describe. Tell, describe what you see and prescribe is telling them what to do. So that's the breakdown of coaching. If you want to be a good coach, follow those three simple steps. Don't create role play that's silly and stupid, and certainly don't let the coaching get out of hand and take over. Although if you do film it, and I promise you, we'll put it on the show. <laughs> we'll put it on the show, that's for sure. So, all right, Kiki, have you ever had any real bad sales coaching? Um, I think honestly, it's just, so. What we would do is we would pull calls um, in a group setting, and then we would have our desk director kind of. Um, give us feedback, but also give feedback amongst ourselves. So I liked that format a lot, but it really depended on how much prep, like everything else, that each of the people brought to the table. Did you did you bring a good call? Did you bring a bad call that we need to help you with? Because um, sometimes you just get like a voicemail. So yes, I've been to terrible call coaching, but it was for lack of preparation. Got it, got it. All right. Well, I think the, the sales leader owns that. The sales leader owns that. No question, because they're the one doing the coaching. All right, so our t let's move into our topic today. Our topic today is branding, all right, particularly for salespeople. Why do salespeople need to brand? Why is it important? Here's the deal, guys. Chris is going to expand this for us, but I, I like to boil things down. i got a simple mind, okay? I kick you have no shit thinking, yeah, bullshit, you have a simple mind. But anyway, in my head, it's all simple, right? And it's like this. We are, have been trained over the last 15 years that if we want to know something, we Google it. That's what we've been trained. We've been trained that if we want to know something, we've been Googled it. We Google it. So you want to, you're on a new date, you Google it. You find a new company, you Google it. Everything's Googled. And so what's happened is by default, we don't trust anything that we can't find on Google. It wasn't by design. Like we didn't do this on purpose. Like, oh, yeah, I don't trust it. It's everything can be found on Google. So when something can't be found on Google, it's like, hmm, hmm, why can't I find that? What's wrong with this picture? 
it creates an uncomfortable feeling. So that's why, at the bare minimum, if you're a salesperson, you need a brand, and you need to be found through that brand. Because when your customers or your clients or someone, they're engaged with you, they're going to look you up, and they're going to want to know about you, and you want to be able to capitalize on that. So that's the simplest reason, in my opinion, why we need branding, and we need to make it happen. So to expand the effort and to take it even further, we are going to bring in Mr. Chris Brogan. Chris is a stud. I was introduced to him by a common friend who I love, Anthony Andarino, a past guest on this show. I met Chris in person in Denver about three weeks, um, I guess in a month, a month and a half ago now. And Chris is one of the kindest gentlemen. I love his philosophy. Focus on everybody else. Make them feel good about themselves. Put them first. So I am super happy to have Mr. Chris Brogan. Welcome, my man. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Keenan, I am so happy to be here. Kiki, thank you so much for having me on The Word. I feel like my time is now. It is now. Wow. What a right, day. Right. What a day. Batman, branding, Michael Scott from The Office. This is a big day. And I got something else for you. I am going to break a Keenan rule for the next, what do we got, next 40 minutes. Right? Wow. I'm not going to wear the plaid. <gasps> Whoa. Oh my gosh, this episode is going to stand out in a washing sea of all the other episodes. Yes. Look at them guys. Look at that. Look at that. Wow. Yes. I have to take a drink. I'm so warm now. <laughs> mm. <laughs> my goodness, that's some Batman you brought. Yes. So screenshot away, people. Keenan is not wearing the plaid. He's going Gotham City style. He's wearing plaid underpants. I just don't want to be a spoiler here, but, you know. Holy crap, I am. That's the word. Oh, no. oh, wait, can I get it in? Can I get oh. it in? Oh, my golly. <laughs> uh, we're playing on the pants. <laughs> the brand it runs deep in the Keenan building. The brand oh, is eternal. <laughs> the brand is eternal, right? There you go. That is awesome, awesome, awesome. So, Chris, thanks, my man. And uh, I'm excited to have these conversations with you. I'm excited. I'm glad. I'm glad to be here. This is crazy times. I mean, this is... <laughs> I mean, we're in a world where a show like The Word can happen. I mean, let's just think about that for a minute. You needed nobody's permission. I ain't got permission. That's my own decision, right? We, yes, I mean, this yes. is presaged by the 90s, but it's ready now. Yes. So it, you nailed it, right? But you started in 98. So tell us a little bit about that. Was that an accident? How, how did that come along? How did you jump on that? 98 is a long time ago. I was only 30. Well, there you go. I would say in 1998, uh, I mean, I can go back a little bit for the year's 94, and my trunk is raw, and the rear view mirrors in my... Oh, that's uh, Jay-Z. That wouldn't be me. Um, all right. So in 1998, when I started blogging, I didn't know anything. So, like, I have no great words of wisdom. But why I started blogging was I was a fiction author, and no one was taking my work because they didn't like my work. I, I wrote really depressing stories. Like, they were not... Or like the opposite of the notebook. Like everyone died, nothing good happened. No, no, you know, any bit of kindness that could have ever befallen somebody would get stripped from their hands at the last minute. If I had been on Oprah's book club, it would have been forever. You know what I mean? Because she loves that, but nobody else does. Uh, but I can tell you that you know, no one was no one was going for it. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to make up my own website. And you could do that back then. And so I started blogging when they called it journaling. So I would put up a story, and then every now and again I'd write a little post about what I was into, and nobody cared. Nobody read it. And I always tell people this. It's totally true. It took me eight years to get my first 100 readers. Uh, and that was because, first off, no one even knew there was such a thing as blogs for the longest time. And no one, you know, no one cared. And I couldn't write for beans. So it and took me eight going. years. You yeah, of course. Going. Just, just, just writing for yourself and... With no audience. Yeah. I had a job. You know, I had stuff I was doing. I was making money. But, I, you know, it wasn't like any big deal. And then when it started getting popular was around, let's say, 04, 05. I got a guest writing gig on something called lifehack.org, which is not Lifehacker, which is another really good type of Lifehack with sort of the off-brand to many people. And uh, I parlayed that into a lot more audience. And suddenly guys like Om Malik, who is like a mainstream reporter who also runs a True Ventures uh, investing company. I've met Om, good guy. Oh, you know Om, okay. So Om kind of started saying good stuff about me. And then Steve Rubel, who was a big-time blogger in the time, was saying stuff. And like everybody all of a sudden just sort of adopted me as seems like a nice guy. 
um, Brian Clark copy blogger. I was so in his comment section, and it was this sort of uh, big deal where um, you know he was just saying, "Man, this guy's in my comment section all the time." Brian thought I wasn't going to make it. He was like, "What a total loser! Uh, he's not going to be a very good pre uh, presenter." So. Uh, I defied the odds, and thousands and thousands more people came. So then I was at South by in 09, South by Southwest, a, a conference, and I got a book deal just sitting at the table talking to a girl, Ellen Gerstein, who used to run marketing over at Wiley. And she just sort of looked sideways and said, why don't you have a book deal? And I said, because I don't know, books seem like a lot of work. Like at that point, I'd been blogging. I didn't need anybody's permission. I didn't want to write a book for some, you know, the man. Uh, but, you know, they said, well, okay. So I got the deal, and then I called my friend Julian Smith, and I said, dude, I just got a book deal. Do you want half of it? And he goes, uh, okay. And so we wrote uh, Trust Agents, which totally magically became a New York Times bestseller. And I mean that. Like, I'm not being falsely modest. Uh, it was a slow week, and we hit. And I don't know how I did it, and everyone always asks, and I go, ah. I said, here's what I said. When I put the book up, I put a blog post, and I said, look, I haven't asked you for anything of any number in, like, 10 years. Would you be willing to buy this book between this Sunday and this Saturday? That was it. That was the whole marketing plan, and we hit. I like that. I like that. I like that. I like that. So you figure on a couple of things, right? So actually, and just so you know, um, mm -hmm. I am in the finishing touches of my first book. Nice. Right? And you are actually in it under one of the sections, and, and I'm referencing trust agents. So you, so it's not just oh. me giving platitudes. Your your book fits part of the overall theme of the book, so you're getting props there. So you know. Thank you. Yes, earned, earned. One of the things I talk in the book, though, is we're on a precipice, right? We're moving from the industrial age to the information age. Yes. And that is creating new rules to success. Yes. Right? You have to do things differently. You have to have a different mindset, whether you want to stay in working for someone or you want to be an entrepreneur. And many of the things you threw out, permission, you don't need permission anymore. There are no more gatekeepers. Distribution, right? You can distribute things yourself. So talk to me about how you see these things and how somebody who's – we haven't even convinced them they have to have a brand yet. We'll do this backwards. But talk about your thoughts about all the things that are out there that can help somebody build a brand and build awareness. We're, I mean, we're really in a whole new world. We're in a world where uh, we don't have to wait for to being picked. Uh, James Altucher wrote one of my favorite books on this called Choose Yourself. Uh, he's got a new version out called Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth. You should buy both of the books. And his wife, Claudia, wrote a good book called Become an Idea Machine. Buy all three. You'd be happier still. Um, what they talk about in there is they talk about that, you know, you really just have to kind of work from what's inside us. Your point about the industrial age going away, that's really kind of core to a lot of my marketing stories right now when I'm talking marketing and sales to people is I'm saying, you know, so every system that's out there right now is still tracking from 30 plus years ago or 50 plus years ago systems. So yes. even if we agree that there's a new world and even if we agree that there's, you know, everyone has a smartphone or whatever, we're going, great, how do we plug it into my 50-year-old 50 50 year old thing, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And meanwhile, systems like Uber come along and crush, you know, personal transportation. But they're, they're, they're cutting into nobody's buying as many cars anymore. So guys like GM are suddenly going, wait a minute here, we didn't expect that like fine you can kill taxis but they don't even get how big this goes right yes Amazon Amazon is rolling out very slowly in the US and some other countries same day delivery now so you wake up in the morning you're like ah I feel like I'm a bacon later on today I'm gonna have bacon for supper you can order it and it'll be at your house like it's four hours or less kind of delivery bacon maybe one thing big screen TV goodbye Best Buy right? yes because yes. that's the only thing holding anybody, you know, to those retail stores right now, brick and mortar. So I want it now. I need it right now. I'm yes, not going to wait a day and a half, right? Yes, yes. Can't wait, you know, your headphones break. You need some new Wi-Fi headphones or Bluetooth headphones. You go hauling up to Best Buy and back before <laughs> the, the word gets on the air. Yes. Well, if a drone knocks on your window and says, Keenan, buddy, I got that for you, and, you know, you're all handled. So Amazon's developing a fridge. You don't have to wait to know that that fridge is going to get your almond milk right back in there the minute you need it. That Red Bull is going to be there before you ask for it. Yes. So yes. in that world, I have one easy question. You want to talk takeaways. Here's one easy question. If you could buy from anyone, in a world where we can buy from anyone, why should we buy from you? Yes. And that is what we solve for. Yes, yes, yes. I can't believe you just asked that question because my blog post, which I just put up there, and you think I know the name off the top of my head, yeah. um, is was answers that question. There's a difference between your job and how you do it. 
And the how you do it part is what you just asked. So how do you do your job? Like, okay, yes, you're a salesperson. Yes, you're a mechanic. Yes, you're a yoga instructor. Yes, you're vice president of sales. Fantastic. And there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of those. So great. So how do you do your job differently so that I want to go with this yoga instructor and not that one? How do you do your job differently so I want to go with this salesperson and not that one? And the answer cannot be I'm passionate, I work hard, I, I've got a degree. It can't be that. Why no. are we stuck in those answers? Why are we stuck in those answers? We're stuck in those answers because we're not inventive enough. You know, we're, we're all of us kind of crushed into this, these old models because we just can't see new models. You know, they don't, and, and people are worried about innovation. This, one of my other arguments that I've made a lot lately is that we're chasing innovation. We should be chasing entrepreneurship. Innovation says, hey, what can we do next? Entrepreneurship says, how can I help you better? That's the whole big difference between those two things. You and I, Chase, how do I help you better? You know, you've asked me that question 180 times in the last 20 days, you personally to me personally, because that's what you wanted to get done. Your, your shows are a value-add kind of show. It's not get broken on. It's what else can we do? Um, and so I think that's that. So I'll tell you a real-world example for anybody who's not listening to us internet weirdos, right? Um, Sullivan Tire. They sell car tires. There's, there's nothing, there's probably a few things less sexy than a car tire, but it's pretty low on the totem pole of cool things. Um, I drive a Chevy Camaro. It turns out there are three whole tires that fit my car in North America. Three period. You could buy three. So uh, when the option was had, I had to go in and get some tires replaced. I called a girl from Sullivan. I said, I'm coming in tomorrow. Can you have the tires there? Yes, I can. We're three to choose from. I'm Googling while she's talking to me because I'm not going to trust their site. And I find the reviews. And so I pick what every human usually does. There's like cheapest, middle, and expensive. And I'm like, oh, I'll pick the middle, right? That's why there are three price options ever on the earth. That's why internet things have three price options because you're an idiot and you're going to pick the middle just like me, right? So I pick the middle thinking that must be the middle good one. I get a call 22 minutes after this. Hi, this is Emily. I'm calling from Sullivan Tire. You know, I was taking a look at your order and I saw what you wanted to get and, uh, I think there's a better tire for you according to the reviews that I was just looking at online. I don't think you picked the right tire. I'm like, oh, it's the upsell. Yeah, like, yeah, I know yeah, yeah. I know what you're doing here. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm th already thinking in my head. It's an extra 60 a tire, so four times six, 240. So in my head, I'm thinking, do I want to pay another 240? She goes, the thing is, the tire that I want you to go with because it's better rated is $60 less. So I've got to call you up to put 240 back in your checking account. Is that okay? <laughs> And I was like, not only is that okay, I will always buy my tires from Sullivan Tire, and I speak on stage in front of thousands and thousands of people a month. I will talk about you as many times as I can. That's a story like that. That is how you do your job better than somebody else. You put the right tire on the right car, even if it takes a little money out of your pocket, because you're going to get all of my tires and anybody I can talk to's tires. That's an investment. You can invest it cash out of hand, or you can invest it out of recommending the right thing. But it's still an investment, and that's going to go a lot further. So then, all right, so how do we bring that down to an individual? So you've got millions of salespeople, right? And so, look, I love salespeople because I say this all the time in my speaking engagements. The smart ones, and if they get it right, they're the CEOs of one. They really are entrepreneurs. They're the entrepreneurs of the, of the business W2 world, right? Because all of their numbers are put on the board. Everybody knows that they're failing or they're succeeding. They actually have more choices than most people because they usually are able to negotiate price to a certain degree. They get to decide their time better than others. Do I cold call in the morning? Do I cold call in the afternoon? Do I send this? Do I send that? Like They have so much more autonomy and flexibility. So the rewards from their efforts are, are much more correlated. With that said, we seem to be like doctors, and we change very slowly. So there's millions and millions of salespeople, I talk to them all the time when I speak, who just don't get this brand thing or they don't buy into it. So how do we take that Sullivan thing and drop that down into the individual sales guy that says, look, Kat, you got to change the way you roll. I'll give you a couple of things. So first off, this one easy sentence. It's not exactly a takeaway. It's just a sentence. We buy from people we like. Or really, truly, we buy from people we love. We buy from people where we feel like we get along with them. So one of the things I do with regards to branding, one of the things I do is I post all kinds of weird junk on Instagram about what I'm into. I post my sweaty gym selfies. I just posted a picture of bacon. I had bacon right before we had this call. And someone said, that's a great side dish for any meal. And I said, side dish? That was the meal. Um, and, and so 
if you're the kind of person who loves bacon, you're like, oh, Brogan likes bacon. You're wearing a Batman shirt because I love Batman. There's a lot of it behind me. So it, it has nothing to do with my business. I don't sell Batman. If I did, I'd be a bad Batman salesman. But what I do do is I connect with people on what they're into. And, and so let's start there. Business is about belonging. We buy from people we love. Let's go from that into the next actionable thing, which is stop selling and start helping. That's all you have to do. And not everyone wants what you're selling, but everyone could use your help. And that passes you to the next person. Referrals are a huge part of prospecting. If your prospecting list isn't two-thirds referrals, my guess is you're not quite getting what you want to get done, right? Because you talked about cold calling. What part of the day is the best day for cold calling? No part of the day is the best part of the day for cold calling. We do it because we're out of prospects and we're definitely out of warm referrals. Because if you had a bag full of warm referrals, you wouldn't go, I can't wait to cold call right now. you start with everybody warm that everyone loved you on. Uh, number three, if you now have the tools to make interesting content and make interesting stories without a marketing department over your shoulder doing who knows what that you don't know if you even believe in, but if you can become the marketing department of your sales organization of one, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you tell the story your way? Now, let me back that up just a tiny bit. If you work for John Deere or something, they want you to use their marketing. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of companies that there's rules why sales guys can't play in the marketing department. But there's nothing that says what you can and can't do within reason on your own platforms that help you augment that storyline. So if you want to be the best yoga studio owner in your little greater city, then you've got to be the person that's figured out how to market and show people what you do besides yoga because we all get the downward dog. we got to know what other kind of dog you walk on your off time. Okay, so I love that. I love that. And I think to the point where you said the companies want you to do the mark, uh, they have to do the marketing, that's marketing them. Yeah. No one says you can't market yourself. Exactly. Right? No one says that you, one of the people who does this better than anybody I've seen uh, is Jack Kasikowski. So that's Jack Kasikowski one on Twitter. What I like about Jack is unlike all of these other quote-unquote, you know, Twitter experts or whatever, or social media experts or social selling experts, Jax is actually a sales guy. Like, he's he's in the trenches every day, and he makes his money on what he can sell for act on. So I love that about him, and he nails it. So he does a good job of building that identity for himself. So if we can market ourselves then how does someone figure out what to market, right? They have to build themselves as a product, right? They have to know what's unique to them, yes? Yeah, I would say that what comes in that process is really understanding what you deliver that's the value add. And that's something that, you know, all entrepreneurs kind of understand, uh, but all salespeople have a trouble with because they're thinking in the old days, I hand the ball to this person, that person takes the ball, that is the end of the game. But it's, it's a value-add world out there, right? In a world where we can buy from Amazon, in a world where drones can't wait to drop stuff off, in a world where automated driving is next so that big trucks, you know, the market, like you have to just keep thinking backwards from all these things. If Uber puts cabs out of business, that's a bunch of people in the workforce that need some kind of a job that they're going to start fighting over you with. If uh, automated driving happens, then truck drivers are out of work. So those people are going to start looking for something to do. And by the way, truck drivers are one of the biggest employment uh, fields in the United States, period. It is one of the, there are more truck drivers than most any other profession in the entire United States. And Google is looking to put them out of business. If we start using uh, electric power driven by the sun and we don't need petroleum power, huge, vast economic things are going to be moving. So why do I say all that? Because one thing doesn't change that if we figured out that you kind of have to work on your brand, you've got to figure out who you are and what value you're adding to the story, the next thing we got to do right after that is tell that value story and offer those values. So it, it could be anything. I'll give you an example. Giant glass just came out and replaced the windshield on my car. First off, they advertise endlessly in Boston. Jim, you could sing that song right now. Haven't not been around in this town for a little while. <laughs> Who do you call when your windshield's busted? And, and we all know that stupid 1-800-54-GIANT jingle, so that's why I called them, right? That got me to the door. But guess why I'll buy them again? Because the guy came out, he realized that, you know, um, he needed a check from me. In four minutes, like while you guys were still watching the office clip, I got that thing handled in the hallway. So that man went all the way up my stairs and all the way into my building, all the way here to get a check from me, went the whole extra mile, didn't whine about it or nothing. And, and that's what he could do. That was his value add is he could make it so I could be on this show because it was a last-minute panic because otherwise that guy was going to have to wait an hour off screen while we did what we did. And so <laughs> I think that 
there's always, I mean, people th- think it's super heroic what we have to do. It's Batman-level stuff we have to do. Batman is a story about a guy who got mad that his parents got killed, and so he just he made himself better every day so he could go after bad guys in general so no one would ever be in his spot. We all can do superhero-level stuff by doing the simple stuff better than the other people around us. That's baseline stuff. As a sales professional, business basics, you know? Get the cards out. Sit there with your list. Sit there with your, your list of people you got to call and run down that list and give them more value than the script. If you can go beyond the script, then you're having a better day. So, I, you know, real mechanics of that, there's a lot of ways to do it. Knowing who they should know. Connecting them to people. Anthony connected us. Uh, Anthony Anarino is always out there figuring out who can I connect and give value to, and I know you do the same. The best salespeople I know are the ones who always have their hand out connecting two people together and are always making a real great connection. If you can do nothing else, do that. You know, you, you, it's interesting. You're really getting, yes, do that. And you're really getting into the nitty-gritty. And where, where I like where you're going with this is you're really getting down to the layer that I think a lot of people just don't get. I don't think a lot of people take the time to evaluate and truly understand what it is they do and what it's about. A question I like to ask a lot of times to salespeople is, what's your sales philosophy? And they, they just, they freeze. They, 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 well, it's all about relationships. And you can hear, it's funny, my kids do this too. <laughs> my kids do this. You know somebody believes in something, when if you ask them a question, if their answer is a statement, but the tone is a question. <laughs> right? Right? You know they don't know. You know they just made it up and they're not really sure what the fuck they just said, right? So it's like, hey, what's your sales philosophy? Um, I believe sales philosophy is all about relationships. <laughs> it's like, okay. I, I say to my kids, too, I say, so I'll say, Kenna, I ask my older daughter something and she'll come back and say, I was wrong. And I'm like, are you asking me or are you telling me? <laughs> right? Because you still haven't figured it out in your head. That's so I right. Think a, <laughs> I think a lot of salespeople don't stop to really ask themselves, what is my philosophy? What is selling all about to me? How do I go about this process in a manner that maximizes my value, leveraging my unique strengths to bring more value? One, why do you think that is? And two, how can someone create more of a correlation between what they're great at and empowering their job to bring value. You know what, I have a reasonably fundamental thing to say about this, but it's probably, I, I, I envision a nation of word viewers turning, uh, tuning me out at this very moment. Because here's, <laughs> here's what I'm going to say. You're probably selling the wrong thing. Like if you are probably in the wrong job if you can't answer that very well. You said yes because the commission was good. You said yes because you worked with the manager at another place. You said yes because you didn't have to leave Tampa or wherever you're from. You said yes for some reason that has nothing to do with your conviction. And sales, like anything else, is a relationship. We, the, the people who say relationship with a question mark, they're not wrong. They're just wrong for the wrong reason. You, it's a relationship first with the product or service you're selling. You must love this. You must be dying to introduce people to the opportunity to be part of that experience. If you don't love your job like that, and there's somebody right now, I just heard him say, that's bullshit, Brogan. You are so full of shit, I need to make money. I need to feed my kids. You stupid idiot. You have to feed your kids by loving what you sell because who's going to buy something from someone who can't even love what they sell? Oh, you should really try this car. That's pretty good, I guess. People drive it. I've, we sell a lot of them, I guess. Right? I would murder dead somebody who tried to sell me like that. I would bring a hammer to that person. So I think that when we sell, we sell. Look, I'll give you an example. I love the Rainmaker platform. It's a WordPress platform, but it's all managed and handled and covered. I have a hundred Rainmaker stickers. I have all kinds of Rainmaker stuff to share with people all the time. Not because I even make money from Rainmaker, because I want more people on this platform. I put my parents on it because drug dealers took over their website and my mom and dad became drug dealers. I read dealers that. For a month. And so I, I put them on the site out of my own pocket because I needed them to be safe. If I put my parents on this technology, do I not think it's the best technology on earth? So that's my passion for what I sell. If Yes, they're right, it's got to be passion. Yes, it's got to be relationships. And yes, you got to bring money home to the kids. But you are not going to make money humping something you don't like. 
And that's where I that's where I land on that. I'm going to take it one step further and tell me you what you think. I'm going to go beyond just loving what you sell. you got to love to sell. If that's your job, you've got to love to sell. And that's different, right? So I may not like selling cars, but I love selling. So unless it's a crappy car, which I couldn't do, I could be fairly happy selling a car. right? Sure. It's not ideal, but because why I love the idea of introducing people to new things, educating people, and creating movement. I love teaching, but I don't like being a teacher. Teacher because I can't. First off, not enough money. But secondly, it's hard to see the incremental movement. Like I don't want to sit up and teach history. But if right. I can teach you enough of something to influence you to make a choice, ah, oh, I get jazzed. Like oh, I didn't know that, and this is amazing, and my life is going to be better, and a future vision. I love that whole concept. So it's an idea, whether it's a product. I love that. And if you as an individual don't love selling for the sake of selling, I don't know what can you do with that. Uh, you know that's a really great question. I think most of the people who don't really know don't love selling. First off, I just think they were taught poorly. I think they they went to the wrong place. They got the wrong advice. I mean, the first time when I was 18, I went to a used car. I went to a car dealership. Said I wanted to sell, and they're like, "All right, uh, we'll go put you in used. Go sit in the desk that sells used cars." And I was like, "Oh, I can't sell new cars." Like I I had never sold any cars. Uh, so first off, the fact that they gave me the gig was just because they could care less. They didn't have to pay me. It was zero, you know, pay. It was just commission. Um, no one told me anything. I actually literally just sat at a desk until I saw someone in the used lot, and then I ran over and said, hey, I don't even know what to say here. Like, that was the worst. So if that had been my only sale selling experience, I would think selling was horrible. But, you know, what actually got me to love selling was to find people who love to sell and talk to them because you learn. But, I mean, I love your point. I mean, to me, the whole idea that you, you've got to go out there and you've got to find those things you love and you've got to find loving to sell. Um, you know, the company Blendtec that does those Will It Blend videos, they sent me yeah. <laughs> a fancy, fancy blender in the mail. It's called the Designer 725, and it's like a 600 and something dollar blender. I got to tell you, the average human being doesn't go, you know, I've got about 700 bucks. I've got a blender, right? If yeah. the average human's thinking, I need a blender because I, I should get in shape, I'm going to make some smoothies, they go for a $100 Ninja. You know, there's a gazillion of those, or Nutribullet, or any of those, like, you know, low end, looks like it works fast, so I don't have to clean it kind of things. I have one. It died in less than six months because I used it every day, and it turns out they don't really want you to use it every day. And for heaven, don't put anything in there more hard to blend than you know uh, almond milk. So, <laughs> how do I sell you a six hundred and thirty-five dollar blender? Because it, first off, eight-year warranty, like eight years, anything goes wrong, they'll replace it. Second, it's like a robot; it talks to you. It says, "Hey, good job, Brogan. I can't believe you just blended twenty-five things. I'm not even making that up." Um, and it's, so easy to clean, like it cleans itself pretty much. And you know, for those of us who have ever made a smoothie once or twice in their life, the cleaning's the hardest part. I could sell the hell out of that blender to somebody at a higher price point by far than any other blender on the market that anyone's considering. To your point, because I love to sell it because I know what you're gonna get if you're in the market for that kind of a thing. And I, I guess that's really the guts of selling, isn't it? Yes, it's the, the guts of what you described and what I struggle getting a lot of salespeople to understand is selling is about being able to create vision and show the vision gap between where I am today and where you can be tomorrow and why that is so much better for you and what you're looking to do or what's important to you or whatever the case may be. And if you can create that vision and paint that vision and make that happen, that's what it's all about. But mm -hmm. so, like that's a sales philosophy, right? That's a philosophy. If I ask someone, hey, tell me what selling is all about, and you say to me, look, it's about painting a vision and creating a way for someone to recognize their current state to their future state, whether I agree or not, I'm impressed. This person's got my attention. That's a brand I can get my arms around, not, well, I'm really passionate, and I work really hard, and I've, been, and I've got tons of experience. I could give a shit. I could give a shit. I could give a shit. You haven't told me anything yet. Anything. I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> I like... <laughs> You know, I like dining out. I like travel. My family's important to me. Oh, good job. Thank you. Yes, I want to hire you now because that family and that beach is going to help us reach our quota. I can see the. I can see it now, right? So money's piling you, up. Is that, what's funny now? You start with they can't, if they can't sell themselves, which that question is designed to help them sell themselves. How can I trust them to sell my product or service? Right? Oh, we could go for hours on this. Hours, 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 hours. So we, I think Kiki, do we have any questions? Um, Doug Lehman had a question. His question was, I'm not sure I completely understand it, 
Do you have a recommendation for social sales resume branding site resource? Let me know if you need me to say that again. I think I sort of heard it. If I understood the question, it was sort of like, you know, what's kind of new in putting together branding? Uh, what's new in kind of branding a resume? Does that sound almost kind of what they said? A social sales resume. So I'm, uh, I'm going to go on a limb and say maybe about.me would be the closest he might yeah. be talking about. Uh, so I'm so utterly opposed to that site. Uh, not the people or whatever. I'm sure they're nice people. Um, but basically, you're giving you're giving somebody else your number one billboard, and you're putting it out somewhere else. You've got to buy your own site. You've got to have your own URL somewhere. You could put the dumbest thing behind it. You have to have your own real estate. Anything else is you showing up at a hotel room with your Zeppelin poster and your lava lamp and your Oriental rug and thinking it's your house. You know, you're renting that room. So you need your site. Now on that site. You can you can make it whatever you want. You can, why should I hire Keenan.com? I think that's a great kind of website to make. I think you know a lot of my friends. I, I get this email four or five times a day. I just got laid off. I wasn't expecting it. Now what? And I always say, well, where can I where can I point people? And they say LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn's great, but LinkedIn's kind of like showing up to a big cold uh, foyer and waiting around for a receptionist who could care less that you're there to go and look at that person's profile. You want a warm invitation. So your own site. You can make a YouTube video. You can do that so easy, it's ridiculous. If you have a smartphone, you have a video camera. Uh, you make a video camera, you know, put it right about here. Try not to wiggle it. Try not to have the sun behind you so you look like you're in the witness protection program. Try to get, you know, within six feet of the microphone so they can actually hear your words in this state as well. Uh, and then just say, hi, I'm Chris Brogan. What I do best is I help people really connect with what they need to buy. And in, in my world, what that does is that, you know, that starts the story. It's less than two minutes, right? Underneath that, you can put, here's what you want to know about me. Do not next then say, connect to me on every social platform on the world. Well, first off, it makes you look like a five-star general. You've got all these badges underneath everything you do. Put it in the number one place <laughs> you want them to connect. Number two, do the number one thing you could do for a next step for them. If your website on how to hire you does not have a next actionable step, you're a crappy salesperson. Sales is about getting someone to take the next commitment until you get them through as many commitments as you need to make the offer happen. Well, if you're not doing it on your Hire Me page of whatever kind you've made, you are already showing me how not to sell. And that's not going to get you a job. So I say put it on your own site, put up a video no matter what, put up a little picture of your pretty head, and put up a little bit about what you are. And as, as we've already said with Keenan, make it as personable as you humanly can because we're looking at thousands of them a day. It is not interesting to say where you used to sell and what you used to sell. It's what you love, what have you done for me lately, and all that. So, dude, you... You nailed it, and I want to. I want to go. You said something because you teed this whole thing up with. I get calls all the time. I just got laid off, and I didn't expect it. A social brand and these presence, whatever we want to call this presence, whatever we call this, why hire me page, whatever we want to, we'll call that a uh, content or whatever, right? Sure. All of that is just like asking for a loan. You cannot get a loan when you're out of a job or you don't have money, right? Nobody loans anybody without money. Money. So same thing here. If you're thinking that you're going to wait until you're out of a job to do this, that's foolish, right? You have to start this now because it's too late once you're out of a job. It is too late, and I think people miss that. That same old, shoot, if I didn't need the money, I wouldn't need a loan. Well, you know, it doesn't make sense, and I get it, but that's how the word works. You only borrow money when you got money. Same hey. thing here. Absolutely. What is the sexiest thing you can wear to a bar if you're trying to meet girls? A ring. Oh, yeah! <laughs> sexiest thing you can do because the least available person, the person who's already got what they are, the other people there are looking for, that's who we want to talk with, right? So it's the same with this business. You know, if you're out there hump, humping for a job, it means that you weren't ready for the next thing. You were sitting there, you know, completely monogamous with your company. I'm not saying sleep around on your company, but I am saying if you don't know a bunch of people, if you are not connected into a vast network of people who love you and want to help you, that's where the time has to go. It is cultivating that network of people who you hope grow and you help them with their needs. I will never need a job again in my life. I will never need a job. I will never, ever, ever be on LinkedIn changing my profile status to really hoping to work with some motivated people. Uh, and so that's because I spend all my day loving on people as much as I can. 
I'm pretty sure I'll get that back if I need it sometime. Without without a doubt. Well said and nailed. Well said and nailed. So, all right, so that leads us to the next part of our show, Chris, and we call Cut It Out. Cut It Out's interesting. What we do with Cut It Out is this is where we bring up something that salespeople do that drives everybody crazy. They just got to cut it out, right? So, Kiki, what's our Cut It Out today? Today we're going to talk um, more from the perspective of the sales leaders and the sales managers. Stop bullshitting them. They don't yes. want to. <laughs> yes. Yes. Stop bullshitting your sales manager. That's the cut it out. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. When the sales manager says to you, hey, is that going to close this week? Oh, yeah, it's going to close next week. Or I talked to the client, it's going to close at the end of the month. They know damn right well when you're telling the truth to when you're not. When you say that forecast is is 600,000 and they go in there and they look at all your deals and they realize about half of that is full of shit, they know it. Stop it. Stop the bullshitting. Sales managers are tired of it. This is what you do instead. Ready? Hold on, everybody. Know your freaking business. Know your business and engage with the customers and get proof, get evidence, dig into the customer, understand the, the, the decision-making process, understand the buyer's journey, have a solid deal strategy, know where you are in that deal strategy, know what that client needs to make the decision, know who's involved, and so when your boss says to you, hey, is that deal going to close? You can say it's absolutely going to close, and let me tell you why. Here's the existing sales process. This is where we are in it. This is the buyer's journey. This is my deal strategy. This is what's executed. This is what's left on the table. This is how long it's going to take, etc. Do that. Stop bullshitting. And if you tell me you don't bullshit, I'm calling you on that bullshit because every single client I've worked with, I sit in these sales meetings and I look at the pipeline and I have a conversation. I say, hey, look at this. You're showing $350,000 to close at the end of the month and you've only closed $6,000, where the hell is all that going to come from? Right, so we all know. So cut it out and stop the sandbagging. Just a, just a pile on, just stop the sandbagging. If you say you're going to close 100000 at the end of the month and you close 200000 you're a clown and you're sandbagging and all your sales managers know it and they're tired. Trust is too important in today's world. Just know your business. Just know it. Other than that, stop the line. Cut it out. And I give props to our boy, Olivia, Olivier Gachot at uh, Capriza for that. He texted me that and said he's tired of it. So I don't know where that's coming from. I'll leave it alone, but I'm with him. Salespeople do it all the time, so we're going to cut it out. Chris, I don't know if you've ever sat in a sales pipeline meeting or anything like that, but have you ever experienced that type of shit? I worked in wireless telecom before I was involved in this, and we only had, there's only, you know, our customers were the wireless carriers in the U.S. back when there were like six or seven of them. Yeah. You know, now there's two. Um, <laughs> so it's pretty much, yeah, we had a lot of those scenarios. And I mean, what's kind of funny is when we get to that activity as a sales professional, the reason we're doing this is because we're worried that someone's mad about our job or like they hate us. And yeah, if you're not delivering, you're not delivering, and someone's mad at you. You just got to own that part. But what's bad about you know what people do with the sales line technology, no matter what, it could just be Excel spreadsheet, it could be a sheet of paper with a bunch of numbers written down a column, is someone's banking business off that. So if you're saying 300 and you're making six, that's the problem. The problem is that they're thinking 300 and you you gave them six, now they're in trouble. If you say six and you deliver six, it's good. If you say 100 and you get 200, that's the other problem. Make the gauges work. You don't want your car to run like that. Why do you want your business to run like that? Absolutely. Chris, I, I had a little crown I put on your head right now. This is the hardest part I try to get salespeople to nail. It's about accuracy. It's not about getting the number, sandbagging and blowing it up. It's about accuracy. That's all people, oh, that was badass. Look, at he just put a crown on his head. Holla. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's about accuracy, so well done, well done. So you hear that, everybody? Add it to my crazy rant, Chris Nail. Be accurate in your forecasting, and the way to be accurate in your forecasting is to actually understand all of the elements. I'm going to help you out again one more time. Know your deal strategy and have one. Understanding the understand the decision criteria, not just of that one person, but the whole company. How are they going to decide? What are they measuring when they decide? Understand who's making the decision. Understand the sense of urgency. And that is calculated this way. The level of return of the future state. How much pain are they in if they don't move? Okay, I would like a new car. probably going to get a new car. But there's no massive urgency because my car runs just fine and it's not an old car. 
So you've got to understand the sense of urgency, and the only way to understand it is to be able to compare current state to future state. You do all that, and you're going to be much more accurate in your forecasts. So bingo, bango, boom. All right, do we have any more questions for Chris before we head out? We're past our 42 minutes, but that's okay. This is a good one. We're all set there. All right. Hey, Chris, uh, you have to take a look at the sales jolt hashtag if you haven't already. Um, Jack Kasikowski put a cool <laughs> picture up of the Joker and this show. So it, it's a trip. you got to check it out. Don't make me love you, Jack. Thank you. Yes. Okay, so any parting shots or parting thoughts, Chris? You know, what a full show. I mean, we, we covered a lot of ground. I was pretty excited about that. I'm pretty thrilled that we were here to, you know, have it all go down. I mean, one of the other things that I want to say, though, is that with with all of this stuff, people, when they talk to me, they're always asking me about this or that very specific technology. It's not about that. It's not about the bike. It's not about the mic. It's not about the tights. It's about you and what you do with it all. You've got to deliver. There are people out there who can make amazing music with a trash can, and there are people out there who can't make amazing music with a $10,000 drum kit. And all of what we're all doing out there is we've got to deliver on one thing, connect with people and serve. You know, cop cars say to, to protect and serve on the side. You should have on your car to connect and serve. Help people do what they need to do. That's what I got for you. And thank you so much for the Batman love today. What a, what a themed show. Dude, come on. I love it. You, you made it easy. Right here you go. You, you make it easy for us. It's all out there, so it was easy. Thank, thank you. I enjoyed it. Uh, mad props, Anthony, for putting us together. Enjoyed meeting you in Denver. Uh, I will see you in Boston in September, if not before that. Can't so I'm wait. For that. Okay, so, Kiki, who do we have coming up next week? Or, I can't. This bi-weekly thing drives me crazy. In our next episode. In two weeks, we will have Mr. Kyle Porter of Sales Loft. He's the CEO of Sales Loft. And then we're also going to have Derek Grant, who is the VP of Sales at Full Story, which is also based in Atlanta, Georgia. Sweet, sweet. Chris, do you know Kyle Porter? Uh, I do by name and, and around. We've, we've kind of talked a, a wee bit, I think, here and there, but good person. Yes, I'm excited. I'm excited. So, so there you go. So all right, everybody, until next time, when we have Kyle Porter and, and crew on, thanks a bunch. Chris, again, thank you very much. Until then, y'all, until the next episode, I'm out. Peace. So just chill to the next episode.